Hey Matt, guess what? What, Doug? <laughs> you know how I run with the Black Mountain Running Company running group? I did know that, yes. Yeah, so we meet on Wednesday nights and we normally run about five or six miles pretty casually. Well, tonight we're going to do something different. We're going to uh, run a timed mile. <laughs> like gym class style. Like gym class style. I haven't done that since high school gym class. I think. I've done some you know, mile repeats when I'm doing marathon training and stuff like that, but not an all-out, balls-to-the-walls mile. That'll be fun. You think you'll break uh, eight minutes? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. It's gonna. I, I, uh, I don't know what to to do i've never you know i mean i don't know i just feel like there should be some strategy there should be a plan of how yeah. quickly i should be you're going. probably gonna do what we did in gym class where we should go super fast the first half mile and then die and then <laughs> just walk and taste blood the rest of the yeah. way yeah yeah well that'd be fun we'll it, look forward it, to hearing your time next episode <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll see <laughs> okay no i think it's a cool idea i i've read uh george sheehan's book was about or he, I guess one of he's an old running writer, and one of his things was trying to. I think he ran the some fastest mile, or one of the very few people over sixty to run a sub six mile, or something like that. Uh-huh. And it just made me think that'd be an interesting like thing to spend a summer or a season working on, trying to just improve your mile time. Yeah, although a terrible thing to do. It was just so much pain. To it do would that. it would be so much pain. <laughs> but you know, I'm kind of looking forward to it. We're gonna do it the first weekend of every month, so then I'll be able to see if I'm actually getting faster. Right, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. Kind of different. Something yeah. most people. You don't. I mean, you don't do that. You know, not many people do no, that. No, but you should. There yeah. you go. There's a tip. Action item. Run time <laughs> mile every month. All right. So we've got a new sponsor, our first one here that you'll be hearing about from us over the next few weeks. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Kalo, makers of the silicone wedding ring. The Kalo silicone ring is the functional wedding ring for an active lifestyle. Kalo is proud to partner with No Meat Athlete and with every one of you who is pursuing your commitment to both your partner and your active lifestyle. In all your training and anywhere else your lifestyle takes you, Kalo makes it possible for you to never go without your wedding ring again. So today our topic is 10 simple food rules of the No Meat Athlete diet, as it says in my book, uh, (laughs) where I was supposed to make something called the No Meat Athlete diet. Uh, Actually, this, this came from a blog post that existed before the book that was called something like 10 simple guidelines for eating healthier than ever, which really is, is what it is more than a diet. Um, so I do want to go through those. I mean, just because that is sort of core foundational stuff to the way I eat and the way I encourage people to eat. Uh, but also wanted to have the discussion about what do we think in general about diets and rules? Because people always people want diets. You know, they want to lose weight and they want a plan that says here's exactly what to do. Here are the rules to follow. And it's not going to be a surprise to anyone listening to this probably that we don't really endorse that sort of thing, right? I mean, if you have to follow specific rules what you're doing is probably not going to be a lifestyle. If it's got to be this way 100% all the time and never can you deviate from it, uh, the ethical tie of of veganism or vegetarianism certainly makes that kind of 100% rule that's easy to follow for some people because you commit to something like that and uh, and then you're you're on it and that's you're not gonna you're not gonna go and eat an animal or eat an animal product. Uh, but within other things like for example the eating oil issue, which I've been thinking about a lot recently. It's something where, like, I feel like it's it's a hard and fast rule for me that I'm not going to eat it at home, but but I don't want that to be, I don't want never have oil in my life, you know. Like, I want to be able to go have a really good meal at a restaurant that that is not that good for you, but it has oil in it. So, 
So, so how does that play into? If you listen to last week's episode of how restraints um, kind of freed you up to to be your better self, right? How does that? How does this <laughs> our anti diet stance, which we both agree on that. I mean, we both yeah definitely, definitely agree with that. But how does that play into? First of all, speaking of that, we should we should interrupt quickly here to point out that. Although we promised you we'd have two episodes this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, about that commitment you made commitment. for us. <laughs> we are going to do that, but it's sort of different. We're defining the week as Thursday through Monday. Wednesday. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I, which I know sounds like we're trying to weasel out of a commitment. Uh, it's more of an, an issue of we realize that it's going to be certain days that we want. We want to consistently put out episodes on certain days. So we decided those days are Monday and Thursday. However, we decided that after we'd already missed Monday, so this episode that you're listening to now went live on a Thursday, the next one's going to go Monday. For us, that's stupid week. Technically, that's not really what we said for that, that first week, and I apologize for that. But it will um, be. It will be two weeks after this. Yeah, it'll, it'll continue to be Mondays and Thursdays all the time. Forever. That's it'll a promise. End of days. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed. Or your money back. All right, so the uh, the question about how, do, how does it... A diet with constraints for you i think it certainly well i have to think more about the freeing you part certainly can help you if you are someone who eating has been a problem for and that's an issue in your life i would say you need to have hard and fast rules for some period of time right you could like just these 10 simple guidelines would not be very good for someone who's struggled with weight all their life um has emotional eating issues isn't it basically just isn't good at following through on their habits i mean these are these things are the way that i eat nowadays and they allow for you to deviate but i think when you're if you have any sort of an issue where one little deviation is going to potentially throw you off and you know put you into a spiral where you just start you're eating potato chips and buffalo wings two hours later uh then then you need to to have something more strict than that now how does it free you i mean i think i don't know i mean aaron she's as i mentioned before has has i don't know if i haven't mentioned that before we're gonna be doing an episode with aaron soon my wife uh, she has, since the vegan cruise, lost a whole lot of weight. I think she's at like 18 pounds or something now. Wow. In Yeah, and I don't think it's been that long, maybe maybe 10 weeks or something since that cruise. Um, partly because of giving up oil, but she's done a lot more restrictive things too, like fruits and vegetables and very little else besides those things. Uh, no calorically dense foods like nuts or avocado or any of that. And I feel like once she once she committed to that, it, it just wasn't hard anymore. Like she said, this is what I'm eating. I'm not going to have that chocolate piece on certain nights when i want it and that's a sacrifice but like once that decision is made and it's just simply off limits it's not an issue of should i have this tonight even though i had it last night it's sort of like it's just not you're just not doing it so then within those guidelines it's i don't know i think it's like she doesn't have to make that decision every day it Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to have that conversation like we talked about with running you don't need to say do i want to run today or do i not because the answer is you're going to run today because you committed to this plan right so I think in that same sort of sense is how guidelines or, or really constraints do can free you in that way. So let's get to these rules. We're just going to run down them, and uh, we'll talk about each one a little bit. Uh, but for those who haven't read the book, or maybe who have, but have just maybe not not acted on it, <laughs> um, we'll get started. So so I the introduction to this whole section is Michael Pollan from In Defense of Food. I think that's where he coined this phrase first. Uh, he said, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. And I, I really do love those guidelines and the simplicity of that. Uh, I think it's probably too simple. Like, you need a few more guidelines than that. Like, <laughs> you could you could just do that and I think still be unhealthy. 
I don't know in quite what way, but you know, if if your mostly plants meant sixty percent plants and the other stuff was just total garbage that I guess still counts as food, you know, you can be unhealthy. So I think I think we need more uh, more restriction than that. But that was kind of what inspired this whole thing, and for me, really inspired this whole way of of eating. I think it's about eating actual, real, whole foods. Uh, there's some fighting over what is a whole food, like is oil a whole food? But anyway, um, let's let's get to it. So, so the first one is avoid processed foods and choose whole, unrefined foods instead. Very obvious. Not a lot to argue with there. Although, honestly, like I don't know when I started No Meat Athlete, that stuff was not that obvious. Um, yeah. I've made that obvious to the world. I've I've founded this whole foods movement that we should stop eating processed foods. Well, I mean, so when I started eat, going vegetarian, I was eating a lot of the processed fake meats, um, right, and and other processed foods as well, um, of course. But but certainly the meats was I was replacing a lot of what I would have eaten as meat with fake meat, right? Yeah, and and I think. I was just kidding, by the way, about having founded this idea. I don't, <laughs> but I don't know if everyone else knows. Um, of course, I didn't. This wasn't my idea. Uh, in fact, Michael Pollan's book was one of the first things that did turn me on to that way of thinking, and it was something I read. I think just before I started Nomad Athletes, when I read that. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, and, and so like, it, it wasn't entirely obvious to me then that that what a lot of people consider health food, which is like you know this engineered food and the stuff that has all these things added to it and stuff that's supposed to be healthy for you, like what you would find in a health food store. A lot of people think, well, that must be healthy. When I, when health food, I mean like a vitamin shop or GNC. Like mm-hmm. some people think that if you could go into a GNC and if you could afford to only eat protein powders and only <laughs> eat all these bars, like then you'd be the healthiest possible person, right? And I sort of used to feel that way, that it was like these are the best foods you could eat. Mm. Um, but but obviously since then there's been a big movement towards eating real actual food, which means not that processed junk food that is sold in grocery stores and convenience stores, but, and also not that processed health food that is kind of sort of well-intentioned but ended up not being very healthy. Right. Uh, so in there, there, of course, you know, some of the examples, brown rice instead of white, uh, fruits instead of fruit juice, smoothies instead of a juice in general, uh, whole wheat flour instead of white. So, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious what we mean when we say processed versus not processed. Uh, oil is, is a tricky one, I think, until recently, I would have said, well, oil's sort of not that processed because it's just pressed out. And I do agree with that. Um, so I think it, I think that could kind of fall into either camp, whole or or processed. I, I tend to think now that that is a processed, not a whole food, basically. It's not really processed, but it's not whole either. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's minimal processing to get oil out sure. if you're getting, like, cold-pressed olive oil. Mm-hmm. But it's something that's so calorically dense, I think it's sort of weird to eat that without right. the rest of the plant right. there. Yeah. So that's number one. Um, number two is get most of your food from plants. I don't think we need to spend too much time on that one <laughs> to, to people listening to this one. Uh, although mo- I think most is an important word there, and it's something that I actually I do think is all that you need for health. I don't think you need to eat 100% plant-based to be healthy. Um, I, I do that because ethically that's something that I believe in, and that's probably why you do it too, and probably why a lot of people listening to this do. But uh, Dr. Furman, who I'm a big fan of, I think he says that between 0% of your calories from animal products and 5% of your calories from animal products, it's not totally clear that there's a difference in health when you look at numbers in that area. Hmm. Um, a useful thing, a thing that I like to think about is that hunter-gatherer types, or some of them called gatherer-hunters, uh, that they would mostly pick berries, eat tubers, whatever, you know, whatever's around, eat that. Now and then, eat meat 
tremendous expenditure of energy required to get that meat by the tribe or whatever. Um, but, you know, they end up getting 5% or 10% of their calories from that type of food. That's where they get some B12 in addition to what was more in the soil back then. Uh, so, I, you know, I think I think most is, when it comes to health, most is what matters. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. But so how about, well, I guess like wheat and things like that are plants. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's not really saying vegetables. Right. Which, you know, even in what's a vegetable, I don't know if a potato or wheat counts as vegetable. It really shouldn't, but uh, it is plants. So, yeah. And delicious. It is delicious. White potatoes are delicious. Sweet potatoes, not delicious in my book. <laughs> oh, I, I think it's a, a bad food. Oh, man. In fact, my third guideline is do not eat sweet potatoes under any circumstances. <laughs> I'm surprised to hear you say that. Yeah, I don't like sweet things with dinner. That's that's my thing. Hmm. just not into that. All right, so number three, cook your own food. Uh, another good one that I think if you if you do that and you kind of commit to eating whole foods, you don't need to think about that much else. It just If you cook your own food, if like if you're an unhealthy person and you just can't seem to get healthy, what I would say is find a way that you cook every single food you eat. Uh, and that, that also goes to the point of the ingredients that they're using. Make sure they're not processed themselves and, or cooked ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not an easy thing to do in our current culture. I mean, it's hard. We're used to convenience. We're used to eating on the road. It's hard to do. But if you can cook your own food, you're you're kind of like you're limiting yourself in a good way. Same way I, I think going vegan, making that type of decision limits you in a good way. Like suddenly fast food is off limits, and it's hard to do that if you're vegan. If your policy is I cook everything I eat, Suddenly, there's a lot of stuff that's really bad that becomes very hard for you to get into your system. And you're just you're self-regulating everything. I mean, you know exactly how much oil is going into your meal. You know how much, exactly how much processed food is going into your meal. When you eat out, even if you're eating at a nicer restaurant, you really have no idea what they're... Yeah. You know, it might be vegan still, but you really don't know what's going into it. Yeah, I think that's a good point, that self-regulating idea that you just you know what's going into it. Sodium is another good one. Yeah. You yeah. you would know if you were dumping loads and loads of salt into right. your food, right. uh, whereas you might not with, with cooked food. And similarly, you can't – like if it's very easy to go buy a huge amount of calories in the form of a candy bar or a, a fast food meal. It's not quite that easy to put that many calories into the food that you're cooking. I mean you can do it, and if you if – you, like meticulously planned ahead and said, I'm going to make all this extra junk food and put it in the freezer so that I have it whenever I need it. I mean, you could do that, sure. But generally, you're going to make things in batches that last for one or two meals, and then and then it's gone. You've got to go work to make it again. So it's not just they're ready to be eaten whenever you want. Right. So great guy, then they cook your own food, if I don't say so myself. <laughs> uh, or, have, or have your wife cook your food, right? That kind of short circuits the process because then then you could just say wife make me this ice cream sandwich, <laughs> and then you could have that whenever you wanted. So uh, I think yeah. you got to make your own food. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was maybe we should cut that out. I'm not. No, let's keep that in there. I mean, I okay. I think Katie and I probably split the amount of cooking we do. Do you, do you feel that you guys do that or? Yeah, we we've gone back and forth a lot since since we've had two kids. Aaron has taken on more of the traditional house roles she right. has kind of made more food then and, and not not in any way like by my choice and not even that much by it's not like we decided you should start doing it, it just it just has turned out that way i just work yeah. when i start working more she does the other stuff picks up the slack um so you know it, it has been more recently her and and i'm certainly happy for that and grateful for that yeah not expected or anything <laughs> all right number four uh make raw fruits and vegetables a big part of your diet so i think this is one that 
is hard to argue with. I think a lot of people would agree that, yes, raw food is really important. Much, much harder to actually do. Uh, and I'm not saying it should be 100% raw fruits and vegetables. Um, raw fruits, very easy to get. Raw vegetables are a little bit harder because they're not, they don't taste as good generally. Uh, if, unless you're eating salads, it's you're not probably eating that many raw vegetables. And uh, I tend to think that there are benefits to raw and cooked vegetables. Certainly people could argue either way on this. But uh, I think getting some of each is a good thing. I think it's it's not a bad thing at all. And the reason we don't have to specify get a lot of cooked vegetables is because that's what people do anyway. They get the cooked foods. It's the raw stuff that you need to actually think about uh, if, you, if you're if you a normal, well, normal is relative, but like if you're a person who lives in this society, this culture, sure. it's the raw food that you need to make an effort to get. Yeah. We've been, as the summer has, as it, the weather's warmed up, I have found that we've been eating a lot more raw food than we were this this winter. Yeah, definitely works that way. And yeah, I mean, it, maybe it should. Maybe that's how it should be. There's a lot of argument over whether our, our bodies have evolved to, um, you know, account for cooking, basically. Like, are we now, right. have we evolved to, to optimally thrive on this mix of cooked and raw foods? Or the the raw people, a lot of that community will tell you that, no, we haven't, and that's why raw food is still the best. Mm. Um, but, you know, what, like what you said, that just, to me, it intuitively sounds appealing, that, that when it's warm out and when you have lots of fresh produce around you, right. that you would eat more raw food, and then when it's not that way, you would depend more on cooking. Sure. <clears throat> All right. Number five, drink a smoothie and eat a salad every single day. So this one, I think I'm sliding back a little bit on the smoothie topic. Like I, I really love the smoothie as a, for certainly a way to get started with healthy eating. Uh, just like juicing can be a good way to get started, but not something that I would do long term. I still do a smoothie almost every day. I still think what I really like it for is that it's a great way to – like. The argument that I hear against smoothies a lot is that they are in some way processed by your blender, right? So the, the food takes up less room in your stomach now, and it, it will sit in the bottom of your stomach rather than being voluminous and, and making you feel quite as full as you should. So like, if you were to eat the ingredients in your smoothie on a plate, you probably wouldn't be able to eat all of them. So it's a way to get more calories than you should be able to. However, I think that compared to what most people eat for breakfast— which is not at all that plate of smoothie ingredients, a smoothie is way, way better than that. Yeah. That's why I like it. I think as far as like habit change mechanism, I think a smoothie is a really good thing to get. Uh, if, you're, if you're trying to eat the perfect ideal diet and you're at that level or you are looking for that last 2% improvement, sure, switch from the smoothie to the actual whole vegetables and you'll probably, your body will, will regulate better. But I kind of, you know, I, I, I this goes back to the tricking your body thing we talked about recently with the heat, but... Mm-hmm. You know, it also, you're giving yourself more calories, sure, but if you're not worried about calories, then you're also giving yourself a ton of nutrients that, you know, just immediately, very easily. Yeah, sure. Which is a good thing, right? I mean, you know, (laughs) if you can, you might not be able to eat that many berries and fruit and greens for breakfast, but if you just drink them all, you're just like giving your, kickstarting your body with all these nutrients. I have trouble with if you're not worried about calories though, because I think we, I think we all should be worried about calories. Like that's our problem with how we eat is that we are overfed, overnourished. We get too many nutrients, even good ones. Mm. Um, So I, you know, anywhere where you're bypassing your body's feedback mechanism and by no means am I anti-smoothie. As I said, I, I eat that every day still. Right. Um, But you know, I'm just kind of thinking along these lines more that, that your body your body's worried about, about calories, right? Your body tells you you're full because it doesn't want you to get too many calories. So if you're bypassing that, even if you're a, a typically a skinny person, and I am certainly I, I have problems getting enough calories versus not eating too many. It feels like that at least. Um, 
I don't know. I feel like your body, if it's working right, knows knows what to do. And I don't think it's good to trick it. Okay. All right. <laughs> like I said, I'm still a smoothie fan. Uh, the salad every single day, uh, I certainly have doubled down on that. In fact, I, I could change this to eat two salads instead of a smoothie every day, instead of a smoothie and a salad. Um, so that would that would do just as well. If you want to eat two salads instead of a smoothie, you're, you're fine by me. Second edition of your book right there. There, there, there you change. go. The exact same thing with that one change. Yeah. Okay. All right, number six. Um, don't eat too much wheat or any one food, really. And um, this was written during the gluten-free craze, so I put that in there. <laughs> but that wasn't really the reason. It, it was something that I had believed for a while. Actually, Matt Resigno was the first one who kind of got me thinking this way. And it was just that regardless of any sort of gluten sensitivity, you know, you may or may not have one. You may have an imagined one. It's just sort of weird to eat the same food three, four, four times a day. And in a typical American diet, it's if you look at what people eat, a lot of people do eat wheat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that, to me, is a strange thing. You know, I wouldn't want to be doing that with any food, whether it was beans or meat or oil or nuts. It just... I just don't think you should eat the same thing all the time. It seems weird. Um, it, that's an awful lot of an awful large percentage of your calories coming from one source. Basically, means that you're not you're losing out on variety when you're doing that, right? And if and if variety is good because it safeguards you against deficiency, um, that then the more of a single food you have in your diet, the less of that of that diversification basically you get. So that's why I think you should eat one food all the time. All right, number seven is very similar to. Number six, eat a wide variety of foods. Mainly, I think that's a good thing to do because of just because of your safeguarding yourself. If you eat the same basket of foods all the time, then if that basket of foods happens to be deficient in something or just a little bit low, like if you're if you're really into fitness and you're pushing your body to the limit, then you may not need to be way deficient in something before you're limiting what what your food is doing for you, right? Because you're you're asking your body to do a lot to work out hard and recover quickly. So I think mixing it up basically just prevents you from, um, you know, running your running a debt in a certain nutrient and getting that too far. So no comment there. That's no, a good one. No, no yeah. argument from Doug. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I have I actually heard like Leo from Zen Habits, our our friend who we mention often, uh, has has had the conversation with me that that some society like if you look at the blue zones type people like for example Costa Rica. The blue zone in there, I forget the name of the region. They eat mostly beans, corn, and squash. And, like, that's it. And rice probably, too, right? I don't know if no. this one eat. I think the corn sort of replaces the rice. Anyway, it forms a complete protein with the beans still. So, I you know, I have no idea about rice. He did a, he did a big experiment, if I remember correctly. I don't know how that turned out. Where for, yeah, like, where a he month ate, he... Where he ate seitan over and over. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And, like, oil and... It yeah. was like a spoonful of oil and seitan right. and something else. Yeah. I think yeah, I don't know how he Broccoli turned out. I think I think he probably didn't like it. I think he <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know how it turned out for his health. But he's he's had that argument with me that like some of the I think the Hunzas or the Okinawans that they kind of eat the same stuff and that happens to be a really good basket of food. So yeah, yeah. I mean I can see that argument. I also sort of sort of think like, okay, we have this whole globe and Maybe around this globe, lots of people are eating mostly the same foods, not a lot of variety in diets. It turns out that there's this handful where they, their certain mix happens to be the one that is perfect, and mm-hmm. that works well just by sheer number of different cultures and societies that there are eating a limited amount of foods. So I feel like if, you, if, if you're worried, if you're not modeling one of those and eating the exact foods they are, and chances are you're not, because if, even, if even if you're eating beans, corn, and squash, but you're getting it at Safeway down the street— 
probably not the same as the one that's actually grown in Costa Rica. Um, so if you're not modeling it exactly, then I think you're you're kind of asking for trouble. So I think it's smarter to to have a variety in there just to just to like be on the safe side, really. All right, number eight. With the exception of a daily smoothie, don't drink your calories. Doug, would you like to raise a concern about this one before we get into it? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> kind of. Uh, I think there are some exceptions there, right? When you uh, are drinking beer, you can definitely drink your calories. Right, then, beer's right? on a healthy diet, right? Yeah, yeah. Essential um, part of it. <laughs> uh, when you're, I, I drink my calories during ultras. It's a good way to. Uh, yeah, I mean this. This is your your daily activity. This is a daily typical person yeah and and you're right it is written for athletes so um there are times when you want to shuttle calories into yourself sure and an ultra marathon is one of those times or a marathon or some intense workouts over an hour and a half or so but other than working out smoothies slash juice and beer yeah i would, I would definitely agree with this and you're one. not arguing that beer is healthy right i mean no for a lifestyle you like to have a beer so yeah but in, in a list of healthy guidelines <laughs> Sorry, um, I'm like, I'm like yeah, I'm, I'm and destroying this. No, podcast. I think, I think it's adding to a nice conversation instead of just being me reading my book. Okay, um, yeah, and I think, like I said, with the smoothie conversation, like you could argue whether that should be accepted. Probably it accepted e e x c accepted, not 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 accepted like welcomed. <laughs> um, so one one could argue that you shouldn't drink any form of calories because they they make it easier to take in a lot of them and they right. bypass your body's way of regulating what it gets because these drinks don't really exist in in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess somebody had to discover beer or alcohol somehow when it existed in nature, but that wasn't uh, not well, quite what we're talking about. I think I think one big thing here that a lot of people do is drink a lot of sports drinks even when they're not working out, just yeah. at their desk or or whatever. You know, they may be thinking that's a lot healthier than a soda, but really, it's probably not a good. You know, water would be a much better alternative. Yeah, <laughs> not right. as I don't, I don't even know if it is healthier than soda. I, I mean, yeah, maybe. Well, uh, right. I wouldn't say people think they are. Yeah, but they're, right, they're really right. not. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think to me that is as bad as drinking soda all day. It's just tons of sugar, and it's it's not even like like fruit juice is at least a step better. At least it's actual natural sugar from plants right. that you just squeeze out of a juice uh, or squeeze out of a fruit. But even then, I don't think it's good to drink juice during the day. I don't think it's a like I said, could be a good tool in the beginning, early days, if you're replacing your soda with juice and you're kind of on this trend of becoming more natural. Maybe juice is useful then, uh, but I don't think it's a good food to be eating or drinking every single day or with any regularity. Mm-hmm. So not too much, uh, not too much argument there because you know tea is still fine. Black coffee has almost no calories, so that that would still fit in under this. Um, I don't know if either of those things are if we're meant to be drinking those things, but. You know, right? They're not calories, so I think that's that's okay. All right, number nine: eat when you're hungry, but make sure you really are hungry. Uh, this is a huge one, and I think the, the reason I have this in here is because people want to know about portion sizes and things like that. And I don't think, especially if you're if you've been eating healthy for a while, I don't think you need to worry about portion size very much. Going back to that body feedback thing, your body will tell you when you've had enough to eat. Um, the making sure you really are hungry part is that. We also kind of eat in in a weird environment relative to how we've eaten for thousands of years in that we have TVs on and way higher stress levels before we eat so that we start eating as a coping mechanism or eating to get out of some other state, maybe a boredom state. Um, So we we end up just eating way beyond. We we don't listen to what our body's saying. When we have friends over, we put out snacks and, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean – 
all day you just munch if there's like food around all the time in yeah, a lot of right. a lot of places yeah. definitely i mean and, and weirdly so like you should listen to your body's hunger too and this is something that aaron has has learned a lot way more than i do but just just because of the weight loss thing a big focus was really listen to your body and make sure you're hungry and she used to be a person who ate breakfast every morning if she didn't have something by like seven thirty, within half an hour after we woke up she would say i'm starving i need to eat something um and she wasn't like a pig who ate all the time. She just was really hungry in the mornings. But some days on this thing, she'll be like, hey, it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and I, I haven't really eaten anything yet because it didn't occur to me that I was hungry. Once she just got, once she just broke that pattern and started asking herself, am I actually hungry or am I eating because I want to make something feel better, right. which is how so many of us eat. And eating for entertainment. We haven't even mentioned that. I mean, just eating because it's fun to eat delicious food that is looks nice and tastes good and is presented well. Right, uh, which is a huge, huge thing that I think is a relatively new phenomenon in in human history. I mean, th- certainly there was the rare celebration, the feast that was partly entertainment, but I think generally that sort of idea is rare. Um, there's this hara hachibu phrase from Japan, which came up in the Blue Zones book, and we have a, we have an episode on Blue Zones, by the way. I don't know the actual number of it, but we kind of went through that, and it's a really interesting book. I think the episode we did an okay job of summarizing it, so check that one out if you don't know it. Uh, or if you haven't heard that one. It's episode 64. There we go. So go back to episode 64. Check out the Blue Zones. Uh, but anyway, the the phrase harahachibu means eat until you're 80% full. And I think the reason for that is there's kind of a lag time between when you eat something and when you actually feel its fullness in your in your belly, satiety as they, as they call it. Um, so if you eat when you're 80% full, then one reason to do that is because you'll probably feel a little bit more full in three or four minutes, even if you're not eating. Right. Um, another reason is you know, our concept of full is probably perhaps too full. Like there might be something caloric restriction has been shown over and over to generally lead to longevity. Mm-hmm. Probably that's because we, we have evolved in, in, a, in a situation that where food is more scarce than plentiful. And nowadays we eat too much. So if, if what you think is full is maybe sort of skewed because of the way we live and the, and the culture that we live in, then maybe 80% of that is, is the right spot where you actually are full enough. Right. One way that I'd like to do this, and I've actually really been focusing on this recently, is normally when I'm making my own plate, I just load a bunch of food on there, and almost always, no matter how much food is on there, I'll eat it all, right? Mm -hmm. Because you just see it, and you don't think you're full yet, you just keep shoveling it in your mouth. Yeah, I've been trying to limit the amount of food that I'm actually putting on my plate, so that, and and I'll tell myself, if I'm still hungry when this is over, I can go back and get seconds, you know, I can go back and get more. But then at least I am just eating that plate, and then I have to decide, I have to make the decision whether I'm still hungry or not, instead of just auto- instead of just automatically eating the whole thing. Yeah, I think that is very intelligent. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of, of two things. First of all, one thing Michael Pollan said is that we we have these indicators. Uh, the indicator of when to stop eating isn't when we're full. It's usually there's some external thing like when the TV show ends. Like you mentioned having food out. Or mm-hmm. when your friends leave, that's when you stop eating because the friends left, so you stop eating the chips. Or when your plate, which the size is really arbitrary, it could be any size, and your body doesn't know what size it is. When the plate is empty, then we arbitrarily time it, say it's time to stop eating. Right. Or if we're hungry, we get, we get more. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a book, and I'm, I was looking this up as you were talking, and I can't remember the name of it. I wish I could... Um, it's a, he's mentioned in the Blue Zones. I think I probably even mentioned it in that episode, and maybe we have linked it in that show notes. Um, but someone who did a whole bunch of studies about these and what happens if you have um, a bunch of people eating with a bowl that automatically refills sort of 
invisible to them. I got, for some reason they can't see it refilling, and they don't know how much they've eaten. Um, so just just purely based on hunger signals, when do people stop eating? Depending on what size of bowl they have, right? So a bowl is not going to be emptied, but just the size of the bowl will affect how much people eat. The large bowl they'll just eat way larger. They'll, they'll stop. They'll feel full at a point that is much later than someone who's eating out of a smaller bowl hmm. does, even when that bowl isn't appearing to be emptied by by what you eat. So anyway, there's a whole book about a guy or this guy who did these all these different studies. Uh, I would love to read that book, and I believe we linked it in that Blue Zones episode. Apologize, I can't remember the name. Which brings us to number 10, the last rule or last guideline, and that is to break some of these rules from time to time, which, of course, circles back to our original topic here, which was which was a commitment, food, how, how strict should your guidelines be, how, how closely should you be following a quote-unquote diet versus what what can be your lifestyle with how much how much breaking of rules can you do i personally think you i think having the rules become breakable after some certain amount of time maybe a month maybe a year um or maybe not even after a fixed time maybe you just start eating a certain way and you say from the beginning i'm going to break these but i'm going to be choosy about when i do it Uh, i think that's the way generally to make something sustainable and like i said the uh, the exception for me with the breaking rules is that the plant food i'm not going to eat animal products or or animals themselves because of the ethical reasons for not doing so but when it comes to health i don't think there's a big deal if you do break that rule uh ethically of course there is so that's why i don't break that one everything else i think i think really for me if i couldn't eat like the oil thing if i just if i knew that i could never again eat out basically at a restaurant that <laughs> oil their food or at a festival if they're serving french fries or something and i just i can never again have a french fry i don't know i would i would i would many times question myself and say you know why are you what's the point of living if like not every now and then you're not going to indulge and just have something that's really good um i know different people have different reasons alcoholics certainly aren't going to say i'm going to drink a beer from time to time at least not the vast majority of them uh because there's a risk of of it triggering you triggering you and you're suddenly back into alcoholism again um so there are obviously exceptions to this type of this way of thinking but personally i think with most things having some leeway in there uh and i think i think as you grow you just become better at doing this like i eat french fries so much less now than i did even three or four years ago i've just kind of gotten better at regulating that and and i think maybe taste buds change too and you don't want it quite as much but i'm no closer than i was then to saying i'm never going to eat that again because i i don't don't want to do that yeah yeah i think uh, i don't have anything to disagree with that one i think that having those (laughs) having you know guidelines which is what you call them in the, at least the blog post the guidelines and not rules yep i think is a is a really good way to 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 eat yeah, yeah. easier said than done i understand that it's hard to get to a situation where you can follow rules like that and break them in moderation uh but i think i think that's a situation that that i think is is a pretty desirable one to get to uh and i'm glad to be making progress down that road absolutely Okay, so we're going to transition. We've got a uh, question from a listener. It's actually been around. We've had it for a few weeks or months now, but we're going to get to that. Uh, but first, a word about Kalo. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Kalo. The Kalo silicone ring is the functional wedding ring for the active lifestyle. Made from hypoallergenic medical-grade silicone, Kalo rings are safe, durable, and comfortable enough for all of life's greatest adventures. In the gym, on the trail, Doug, <laughs> at the job, and everywhere else. Kalo's brand new athletics collection rings are stamped with a kettlebell icon to symbolize our passion to keep pushing ourselves harder to be the best we can be in every area of our lives. 
Kalo exists to empower your commitment to your partner, so come join the Kalo community as we passionately pursue the best life has to offer. Kalo rings start at fifteen ninety nine, so go to kalo.com, that's Q-A-L-O.com, and use promo code NOMEAT, all one word, at checkout to get 15% off your purchase. Kalo, we do. And a lot of people do. I saw people at the baseball game we went to on this past, what was that, a Saturday? Uh-huh. Nice little double date we did. Yep. And you said you saw someone somewhere yeah, else, I right? saw, uh, On the trail? A, no, it was at a yoga class. I was at, taking my wife's yoga class, and the guy on the mat next to me was wearing a Kalo ring. There you go. Sweeping the nation. And we've both been wearing them, too, during our runs. We sure have. And so has my wife, Erin, by the way. Great. <laughs> so anyway, should we get to the question? Yeah, let's do it right now. Hi guys, this is Tiffany. I'm from New York City and um, I'm an avid no athlete podcast listener. I had a two-part question. The first question is I just um, I just bought the no athlete 5K roadmap and I'm looking forward to running my first 5K sometime in the next few months. I'm also an avid weightlifter. Um, I know in the 5K roadmap it says to cut down on the heavy weightlifting. I was wondering how detrimental that would be to performance on the training plan and if it's absolutely necessary to stop. My second question is that I'm a college student on a college budget and I'd like to start incorporating smoothies into my diet, but I can't afford the four hundred dollar um blenders that you guys are so fanatic about. I was wondering what your suggestions were for um for getting a blender on a college student budget. Thank you. Enjoying the podcast. All right, good questions, Tiffany, and thank you for phoning it in. Uh, to answer them first, I don't think you need to give up lifting to do a first K, first five K. Um, you know, if if you are a brand new runner, then I think it's probably best, especially if it's something longer than a five K. I would highly recommend not doing heavy lifting. That's a big part of the reason I got injured when I first started marathon training. Um, and, and in fact, our our academy module this exact time, I'm interviewing Jason Fitzgerald in about two minutes. Um, <laughs> about strength training for runners and and he's a huge advocate of it thinks it is necessary if you want to be the best runner that you can be um, so by no means am i saying don't lift it should probably change the volume of your lifting uh, you want to shift shift a lot of that time and energy towards running if your goal is to become the best runner you can be um, and you know depending on timings around workouts and things like that uh, you've you've just got to be careful with the amount you're doing you don't want to completely wear out your legs right before your most important run of the week for example um, so you've, you've changed it up. I think more core work rather than traditional go to the gym and do squats and deadlifts and stuff like that uh, is is more likely to kind of set you up for running success and, and not injure you in the process of doing that lifting, uh, which is why I'm a fan of that stuff, along with the fact that it's a lot easier than doing squats and deadlifts. Um, so that's my, that's my take. You don't have to give up that by any means, but I think you should, depending on your goals, you should probably lessen that in favor of running. Other part, uh, blenders. Doug, you're a Vitamix fan, right? I'm a Vitamix guy. And I am a Blendtec guy. Both are uh, expensive. Both are very expensive. I did not pay for mine. I, I will admit that right here. Uh, I didn't either. But yeah, yours was a, was a wedding, wedding gift. Thanks, yeah. right? uh, no, Blendtec sent me mine to, to just try and to talk about now and then, which I think I'm supposed to disclose when I mention that I do use Blendtec. Um so I think there's a Ninja one, right? Ninja? Yeah. That you can get. At, it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. Target has it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's like in the $100 range Bed, or something. Bath Beyond has it. But what I've heard about those is that they do work, but they just don't last all that long. Mm. But still, I mean, if it lasted for six months, 
Yeah. And you bought four of them, you would you'd get two years worth of blending and you'd save over the $500 blender. So, you, you know, my opinion on this is that a more expensive blender is going to make a creamier and smoother smoothie, right? Mm-hmm. But if all you're doing is making a post-run smoothie and you don't really care about that, you don't need a yes. really expensive blender. If you just got a regular old blender at Bed Bath & Beyond or wherever, then it's going to make a decent smoothie. Where maybe, you run into trouble. Maybe. Some <laughs> I've had really bad experiences. There's some of them yeah. are terrible. Okay. You know, you get that bubble underneath it, and then it's blending, uh, right, but nothing's uh, happening. You're not churning. But the, the, at that point, it's probably too thick of a smoothie for that particular blender. What I was going to say okay. is where you're getting okay. into trouble is when you start doing really thick stuff. When you start making your own cream sauces or hummus and, and kind nut of all butters. this. Nut butters. These really kind of thick things that yeah. a good blend, blender, Blendtec, Vitamix will make a big difference with. Yeah, good point. And I think I really do think they will pay for themselves in that way. You can you can make flours and things like that, like you know, grind chickpeas up into chickpea flour. Right. I don't know that that's that much cheaper, cheaper than just buying chickpea flour, but <laughs> I would imagine that it is. Um, and you can do things like that. And I don't know, they're very convenient for that reason. You can just make your own stuff from as scratch as it can get. Uh, so they're nice for that. But I think yeah, that's a good point. If you're not, if all you're making is smoothies, you really don't need one of these fancy ones. I mean, it, yes, it will help make the smoothie making process a little bit faster and better creamier but i don't know you don't you don't need it especially if you're on a budget um mm-hmm. i wouldn't i wouldn't just use let... less frozen stuff you use more soft fruits then yeah it, you know it's gonna be fine and then you gotta pour this water in and then it gets all watery oh, yeah. so you gotta get a blend tech or a right mix <laughs> <laughs> sorry tiffany <laughs> okay so that will do it uh hope you enjoyed the episode we've got a new one coming up like we said it's on monday even though today's thursday and we promised two in the next week but we're going to get you two, and for now on, it's two a week, so uh, hopefully you'll forgive us for that. All right. Well, All right. Have a great weekend, Matt. You too, Don. All right. See you.